All right, everyone. Hello. How's everybody doing today? Y'all doing all right? I hope you're doing okay. How many of you had the the, the immense blessing of, of the Monty Python blessing in the last I minute? I did. Yes. It's so, oh my gosh, how they ride so horses. How they ride horses. Gosh, every time. Because they mentioned it. They mentioned it, and I just wanted to you know pull the rest of them in. It's so brilliant. Allie goes, oh, I should have went to the bathroom. I was like, you're oh, using five minutes of Monty Python talk anyway. So okay. You're using coconuts, you know? <laughs> yes. He's like, There's literally no plot to it. No, no, there is no plot whatsoever. I love the Yes. No. No, those are very, those are written. They're, every word is written. Well, the, the, the scene where the, you know, the Black Knight scene, which is arguably the most famous scene in the movie, where, where they're fighting and then... And then you know he throws the sword through the guy's like thing. My favorite thing is because he's like, oh, oh, <laughs> like, instead of like screaming or like, ah, he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> but you know, and then there's the whole fight between King Arthur and the Black Knight, and he chops off his arms, and, and he's like, it's only a flesh wound. And then, he, and when he finally cuts off all his appendages, he goes, he looks at himself and says, all right, we'll call it a draw. I just. <laughs> It's uh, it's so brilliant. It's so good. Yes, he's like he's like fetching the wash. I, I I love the French guys because they they're like speaking to each other in French in French, and then the guy goes what? He goes let's go. Oh okay. Yes. I used to actually, I was such a big nerd in high school that I used to like yell that at basketball games and, your mother was a hamster, you know, I fart in your general direction, you know. <laughs> What? Air the swallow. Swallow. Oh, African yeah, yeah. or European? Is it, is it an African swallow or European swallow? I don't know that. Ah! Okay. But I think that's the last half of the movie, so something may not have seen. Well, you know how they talk about the African and European swallows at the beginning of the movie? That gets brought back later. Anyway. Before we before we jump in to Ephesians chapter five, we made it to chapter five, guys. Yeah, that's like so great. Wow. Anyway, um, I actually I had uh, we we had church life cohort on Monday, or if you're my dad, is church life cohort. It's if, there's no such thing as a cohort. But that's still how he pronounces it, and I've probably told him twelve times, cohort. But anyway, it's this it's this thing where pastors get together and talk about different you know stuff about church, and it's really good. It lasts all day long. But one of the guys that was there was a pastor uh, of a I don't know medium sized church, and um, and he was talking about how he this last year he's been preaching 
uh, only um, expositorily, which is what we do in here, by the way. It's where we go scripture by scripture through the whole thing, and we don't, you know, skip parts. And and he said he said that they go. He said that they that that they are going to be in the book of John for three years. And I was just like, that is so wonderful. <laughs> I love it. And I, yeah, I totally. Uh, I I really think there's a lot of pastors that do that. It's not just you know just not very many of them are assemblies of God pastors. Um, although the the preaching pastor at James River preaches that way too. So and that's like the largest assembly of God church in the nation. So. Anywho, so before we jump in, I just kind of wanted to open it up and see if there was anything. I kind of felt like a little bit of a pause from the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why he didn't explain. So I wanted to just throw it out there and see what what happens. If if there's something somebody wants to talk about, if there's something on any somebody's heart, if there's so is there something that that we can spend some time on today that would be, uh, you know, I don't know. I I don't know why I'm feeling this, and I'm trying to find out. I thought maybe one of you would be able to answer that question. Yeah, if you have a question, that would be great. Uh, if you have something on your heart that you want to share. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And Samuel rebukes him, and then, you know, like at the very end of the chapter, it said the Lord had regretted making Saul king. Yeah. And I was like, I think about that as like the other time I was looking through it. I did some research, and it also said that they used that same word when, after God made humans, and he like fell. Yeah. God regretted making humans. But the reason I wonder is like, how could um, a God who could see to the end of time do something that he wouldn't regret? Yeah. That's a really, really big question, and and it, no, it is, and and it's it's a question a lot of people have tried to answer a lot of different ways, you know. If God knows the future fully, and He does, He is doing things based on His knowledge of the future. How could He make a decision and then later have it say that He regretted that He had done that? And first, first off, we have we've got to make sure. When, we, when we're asking questions like this, that we know what Scripture actually says. Okay, so what chapter in Samuel is that? It's, that would be First Samuel, right? Because it's still King Saul. You think it's chapter 14-ish? Yeah. It's right, I think it's right Saul's disobedience, Samuel rebukes Saul. I regret, it says. What? 
Hebrew is such an interesting language because it's extremely in in it non-specific. It's just very non-specific. Um, it's more of a sense than an actual. Uh, and like for instance, if you I look at I'm looking at Strong's Concordance. Okay, it says that the word could be translated that he was sorry, that he was appeased, that he became a consolation, that he changed his mind, that he changed someone else's mind, that he comforted someone, that he was a comfort, that he consoled them, that he gave them rest, that he had compassion, that he was moved to pity. So all it's this whole thing. I, I mean, I haven't done deep study in this, but my the, what I have heard from other preachers that have asked the same question, is that when we see this, first of all, it's, it is, there's so many places in Scripture where, where uh, the Scripture shows God doing something that's very human, and we don't question it. For instance, it'll say, like, the hand of the Lord wrote on the stone tablets. Okay, God does not have a hand. Okay, that's not, you know what I mean? He's not a human being. And so to say the hand of the Lord wrote it, does it mean God has a physical hand? And if it does, if he does, how big is God's hand or how small? How, you know, what color is God's hand? Um, does, you know, does, what could, does God's hand smell like? Okay, I mean, you could start asking all those kind of questions. I'm just being, ri- I'm just being literal, okay? Because when, when people have looked at a, at a verse like this and they take it when, when God says, I regret or I repent that I had even made humankind. And they say, see, God doesn't know the future because he did something and then he regretted it later. And he wouldn't do that. If he already knew he was going to regret it, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. Well, first of all, that's not necessarily true. Um, how many times do you, th- you've done something that you knew it was going to hurt? <laughs> right. For real, though, I mean, you know, you do something, you're like, this is this is not going to be pleasant afterwards, but I'm going to do it, right? How many times have you done that? Okay, you know, I think about what was that? Oh, I can't, I, can't, I don't even know. But there, I think of a movie where this guy's like, says like, oh crap, this is really going to hurt, and then he did it anyway, right? And afterwards, he had full knowledge that this was going to cause him pain. I think it was not to leave, right? Was it? Is that what I'm thinking of? He has this, he has, I can't, I can't put it in a context in my brain, so it's not where but, you know, think about something that you do where you know it's going to hurt, but you need to do it anyway. Yeah. Right? I know it's going to hurt. Okay, for instance, uh, uh, my wife had uh, surgery. She had to have the, her turbinates trimmed. Do you know what that is? Anyway, it's this thing that it's this, it, it helps her breathe. Anyway, she had to have it done. Oh. She had had it done before, okay? And she knew that recovery from the surgery was just horrible. She would hate it. She knew it. But it was better than continuing not being able to breathe out of your nose for the rest of your life, right? And so she went through the surgery. Well, but as soon as she woke up from surgery, she was crying and she was like, why did I do this? You know, even though she knew beforehand that it was really going to hurt when she woke up. She full knowledge that she was going to wake up with her her whole 
head full of this packing stuff that they just shove up your nose and that she was going to have to live that way for like three days and it was really going to hurt for a while. She knew that, but that doesn't mean she didn't feel sorry about it. Do you see how regretting, regret does not necessarily mean that you didn't know? That it doesn't preclude his foreknowledge? Does that make sense, Josh? I'm, I'm like, my brain goes to like, like if I were to like dislocate, like dislocate like your shoulder or something. Yep. Like, you're gonna have to like pop it back in place. Yeah. Which hurts really bad. But I wouldn't regret doing that after I did it. Right. It's better than having it done. It was the right thing to do, but it cost you something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, do you think that Jesus hanging on the cross was enjoying his pain? Right? No, he was not. He There was a great cost to what he was doing. But the Bible says that he endured the pain and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew what was going on. And in that moment, was he, was, was he feeling negative feelings about what was going on? Yes, he was. Was he regretting? There is a difference between this hurts and part of me wishes I didn't have to go through this and, oh, I wish I had just never done it. And what I would say this word is actually uh, saying is God is, is saying to Samuel, I never wanted to make him king anyway. The truth is God didn't want to give Israel a king. You know that? God, God just wanted to... God anointed Samuel as prophet, and the people forced Samuel's hand in anointing a king. And God says, and God is saying, I, I didn't want to do this anyway. And, and right now, after what's happened, I'm, I'm, you know, feeling even worse about the decision that you made me make. Just like I knew that I would. But it doesn't mean, so it doesn't mean he didn't know it. It just means that he's grieved in this particular moment with the decision that he ended up making. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's really feeling it right now, the cost of the decision that he made when, when he chose Saul as king. But he told Samuel, I'm going to give them a king that's just like them. You know, there's this thing, this happens to me as a parent where uh, my kids will do something and I will be like, if you do that again, I am going to ground you, you know, or whatever. I'm going to punish you in whatever way. And then we get past the place where I'm not angry about what they did to me anymore, but I still have to deal with, you know, punishments like grounding are, are just as bad for your parents as they are for you. Okay, first of all, they have a whiny kid that's, you know, just like, uh, why won't you let me play video games, right? But it is not fun to punish your kids, ever. And there's so many times when I'm like, I wish, I wish so much that I could just take it back and say, I don't care, I'm done, I don't want to punish you anymore, because it's, it's hard for me. But if I did that, would I be a good parent? No. I wouldn't. So am I regretting the fact that they made a decision? Yes. Am I regretting the fact that I have to punish them? Yes. But does that mean that I don't have to punish them? 
It doesn't. Just because I regret it doesn't, doesn't change anything. I still have to do what I have to do. And I knew I would regret it when I told them this was what their punishment was going to be. But they need to learn this lesson. The other, the other kind of aspect to this is that there is, there is a moment, um, and, and it's right around the same time in Genesis when it says that God regretted that he had made man upon the earth, okay? where God says, in fact, I think it's like the next sentence, where God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Your days will be 120 years. And it's this moment where God says, you have pushed my patience to the place where now my activity toward you has to change. Okay, And that's exactly the same kind of moment we're facing with Saul. Where Saul has tested the pushed, pushed, pushed. God has warned him. He wasn't listening. And Saul's rebellion is to the point where God is saying, okay, now you don't get any more grace for this. You have passed the point where I can keep you as king. And that this is the marker of that moment. More than it is God going, what was I thinking making this guy king? No, that's not, what, that's not what's going on here. What is not happening here is God going, boy, I wish I would have thought about this a little more. That's not what's happening. Okay, this isn't God saying, I should have read the fine print on my king contract. You know, that's not what's happening. Does that make sense? This isn't, God isn't feeling this feeling out of a lack of foreknowledge. He knew he would feel it, but he chose it because he had something bigger that he wanted to accomplish. Did that answer the question? So there's a lot of people that ask that question. You'll run into it. And, and I, honestly, if you just take some time to put yourself in the feet, go look at the original language first. Get a better sense of that word. Like it, in, in, a, in a good concordance, it'll show you all the places where that word is used. Okay? Um, and it, you can get a good idea of, of the 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 overall sense of that word beyond just this moment. Like for instance, one of the other places it was used at Genesis five, nine, this one will give us rest from our work. That's the same word. will give us rest. Well, what that adds a whole nother aspect of meaning to this word than regret. Hebrew is a very different language than English. Um, but then in Genesis six, the Lord was sorry that he had made man upon the earth. So that that's that's almost the same. Again, in Genesis 6, it says, For I am sorry. Um, he repented that he had made man on the earth. But then Genesis 24, it says, Isaac was comforted. That's what the same word means, was comforted. And so it, look at all the aspects of the word. And realize what this was really talking about is a moment where he has a feeling that says, I can no longer act towards this person the same way I did before. When it says gave rest, that means you stop doing what you're doing and you start doing something else. That's also what the word repent actually means. 
means to make a 180-degree turn. It means to stop doing something and start doing something else. And that's how the King James actually uh, uh, translates this word. God repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. He stopped supporting Saul as king and turned, changed directions. While God never changes, his activity changes all the time. Okay? Um, so, yeah. Look at, get to the original language, get a good sense of what this word has meant in other places in Scripture, and then really think about this. Remember that God is not a man. Okay? God doesn't have a hand. Jesus did. He had two. God, the Father, does not. But it talks about God's hand all the time in Scripture. Why? It's called, are you ready for your really big word of the day? Anthrop anthropomorphizing God. Okay? Okay? That means that we are using human language to talk about God, but we need to remember that he's not a human. Okay. We're using human terms to talk about God because it's like he has a hand. He wrote on that thing. But was it an actual, did God have a hand? That he, you know, uh, Later on, a hand actually appears and writes on the wall. You know? and, when, and, and when Daniel read the letters, he didn't see the hand. But was that God's hand? Was that an angel's hand? Was that Jesus' hand? We don't know. It just says a hand appears and starts writing on the wall. We don't know. Don't take. It was the hand from. Uh, what's that? Adam Jim. No, Adam Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Oh, it was thing. It's like. <laughs> 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 That's just what. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good show. Yeah. yeah. I was actually on answer to this, but do you think that? Um, because <laughs> she has no arms. Do you think that when we get to heaven, all these questions we have, are we going to be able to ask them, or are we just going to completely forget about them? I have so many things. I want to ask Jesus, like, what did you write in the sand? What did you mean that you regretted making Saul king? Like, I just want to know. Sure. I think, yes, we will absolutely get to ask those questions. I don't really have any Bible to back up for that. Except that it says that we will know even as we're known. So all of all of the blurriness, all of the like stuff that makes God hard to understand now is all just going to go, it's going to be gone. And we will see him as he is, the Bible says. And so there won't we won't have questions anymore like, how big are God's feet? You know, it's not going to be, you know, it's just going to be like, bah! and we're all going to go, oh, yeah, duh, right? Okay. One of my questions. Um, I don't know what color he is, but what color do you think he is? Yeah, is he like Jesus. Jesus was Middle Eastern and yes. and Middle Eastern but wait, Middle Eastern men of that era were much darker skinned than they are now. I told y'all black. Oh, he's black. He's like those guys. He's like those guys. I don't know. 
Uh, no, he's not. He's not white, and he he's. But in the way that when they see him, apparently the the glorified version of Jesus has white hair. And then, do, you, do you guys know Glozel? Do you know Glozel? And she talked about Jesus having hair white like wool, and she's like, that means he's got nappy hair. And, <laughs> so she's like, that just proves that Jesus is black. Uh huh. So anyway, she was she's funny. Glozel is awesome. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but that's. Oh, sorry. She's like laughing at some like black pastor. There's like a video where she's like, there's a there's like a black pastor talking in church. And yeah. She's like laughing because he's like being ridiculous or something. Sorry, I haven't I seen just, that one. I, I haven't watched Glozell in quite a while. I think the last, you know, not since she did the whole Ice Cube challenge. And, uh, I, I haven't seen anything since then. Yeah. Okay, so I have an actual biblical question. Are you telling me the other biblical, the other questions weren't biblical? Not for my ones. I think they were perfectly okay. legitimate questions. Anyways, so my question yeah. is, I was reading, like, when Jesus was arrested. Yeah. And a lot of people have different theories on this. Um, it's like, it's Mark chapter 14, 51. It says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. He fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Yeah. It's, that just came out of nowhere, you know? I'm like reading this. <laughs> 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 oh this naked man, like, Most people think that he that somebody tried to grab him as he was running away, and so his garment ripped and he left it behind. Or maybe he ran and it caught on one of the olive trees because they were in an olive garden. The point was that he was afraid because of because the soldiers came and attacked Jesus. So afraid that even when his garment came off, it didn't matter and he kept running. That was the idea. It's trying to portray the the frightfulness of what just took place, is that it, he didn't care that he was naked. There's a lot of people that believe that that was John Mark who wrote that book. Wait. Because how – there's a lot of people, there's a lot of scholars that believe that that was John Mark because John Mark is the writer of the book of Mark. Yeah. Okay. And he was related to John, the the, uh, the disciple John, and and so and we know that later on he went on missionary trips with uh, the Apostle Paul, and so um, you know a lot of people think that he that that was him that so, he was that's why he knows that little detail. So instead of saying you know like instead of like I was like oh a young man he said I. Wearing nothing to learn from it, falling through this wind, they see him. So I fled naked. I was scared straight out of my pants. Right. He was like, "This thing is just this thing is slowing me down." Or maybe he maybe he thought I'm too recognizable. Uh, uh, uh. I need a disguise. <laughs> Nobody will chase me naked. <laughs> we don't know, but the, the, most people most people think it was either most people think either either somebody like grabbed for him and and got his coat and and he but he kept running, you know. So they left the linen he left the linen thing behind, or it says it says all he was wearing was a linen thing. So he was just wearing like a toga. 
yeah, basically a t-shirt, a long t-shirt. A long t-shirt? That kind of thing. Yeah. You have to remember this is late at night. Okay. He was going to Mando, y'all. He was free balling. He didn't like sell hangs back in Texas. Well, maybe I thought like one of them had a diaper. They had this little baby on. Yes. <laughs> I want to point you to three balls last week. Hold on a second. No, okay, so since we've been discussing it, I've been doing some research. <laughs> not looking at pictures. Good. There's not much to say. But, like, I didn't. Get to the point. Okay. They said it was a form. Of Roman punishment. Every single thing I have brought it up says it was a form of Roman punishment. Not always. Why are you looking it up? Not always. What? No. <laughs> it's just it a baseball game. There, I, I'm not. I, yes, they would. Yes, it was punishment sometimes. But there were also people that were just castrated at a certain age so that they could be servants of women, etc. And there would be no chance. That they would impregnate, that they would be, you know, any sexual stuff. Right. 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 No, none of the disciples were eunuchs. Okay. I thought I was told that one of them was eunuch. No, no. The prophet Daniel. <laughs> Not the Daniel that's sitting in this room again, <laughs> but the prophet <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> okay, that's all. I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> sure, Daniel is. Fully viable and could definitely father children. It's going to be okay. I know you were. There's a couple of you going, I would marry him, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I do want to have kids. But you can't have kids if you do that? No, Ronnie. It's all gone. It's gone. Snip, snip, my, did it, I've never told you guys the story of how my two oldest boys kind of discovered the birds and the bees, but it's they they answered that question. They got it figured out because we neutered our dog at the time, and and my wife made a big stupid mistake that I still am mad at her about because she was you know they were like examining him when he got back in the car you know he'd been gone for a couple of days and and all of a sudden my son was like. Cut his balls off. No, it was Isaac and Aiden. Ian was only about two years old or three years old when this happened. And <laughs> and uh, I and love I love Ian too. He's he's, he's, my he's so great. Um, <laughs> you're allowed. I'm sorry. It's just Those so dimples are just irresistible, completely. Okay, I asked and, him. I'm like during spring cleaning. You don't know me, but can I hug you? You're so adorable. And then I kept chasing him. He is so cute. And he probably did the whole like total serious face yes. thing. Yes. Like, yes. No. Your son was right there, Aiden. Yeah. I'm like, Aiden's where, in my mini house. What? Does your son fart a lot, Ian? Yes. <laughs> you, did you find that out this weekend? Yeah. We're in the middle of so of of constantly. We're in the middle of a dog littering story. Gotta find our own pet.
<laughs> you do like dog neutering stuff? <laughs> you should see so anyway, history. It's ridiculous. So they so yeah, that's what happened. And then my kids asked my wife, why did you do this to our dog? And she she told them the truth. You, she should not have told them the truth. Or she could have just said, see, they were small enough that an answer like an answer like, it's just an operation that boy dogs need to have done. And they would have been okay with that. They would have walked away going, oh, it needs to be done. Okay, obviously it needs to be done. No, they, they don't ask any, they're not going to ask any further questions. They're not going to connect the dots. They were young enough that it would not have happened. But she was stupid. She goes, we did it so that he couldn't get any girl dogs pregnant. Well, oh God, that, that's, that's when they both went, but both, see, my kids are, were, and are smart enough to make the next leap. I thought only girl dogs could get pregnant, is what they said to her. Yes, that's right, she said. They said, then why did he have to have surgery? Because he's not a girl dog. And she was like, ah, oh. by this time I was home from work. I had just walked in the door and I hear, and I come in the door and Rachel says, ask your father. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, ask me what? And, and, uh, uh, Aiden or Isaac, I don't remember which one. They were both there and they, they looked at me and said, if girl, if, Boy dogs can't get pregnant. Why did Rocky have to have the surgery? And 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 I looked at Rachel and said, "What did you do?" She's like, "I told them that that's why he had, you know, that's why he had to go to the vet." And and I said, "All right, boys. It takes both a girl dog and a boy dog to make a baby dog." And Isaac goes, "Wait." <laughs> he said. Is that true for everything? I said, yes. He goes, even humans? <laughs> yes, even humans. And he was like, oh, I don't even, oh, I don't even know what to think right now. He was just so like blown away. And then later on they came back to me because they were still thinking about it. And then they said, Dad, how could Adele get pregnant if she's not married? Uh, Adele, you know the singer Adele? She was pregnant at the time. She was she has two kids. Yeah. But she's still not married. Yeah, she has two. She's 25. Actually, she's 26 now, but anyway. So, she she in between the 21 album and the 25 album, she had two kids in there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um and and so and so I said, okay, she got pregnant because it's sex that makes you get pregnant. And they were just like, oh, my gosh. Like they just totally just didn't know, you know. And this is before, well, and so they were in the back of the van and, and they were all driving somewhere. And Isaac and Aiden were just talking to each other and did not know that my wife could hear what was going on. And Isaac said, who knew that peepees were so powerful? <laughs> and and Aiden, Aiden, who who Aiden always Aiden always puts the whole picture together before Isaac every time, because he's just quick 
He gets concepts like the first time you tell him, he's got it. And he goes, Isaac, it's not the PT that's powerful. It's the balls that are powerful. <laughs> <laughs> he said, the balls give the PP power. <laughs> and my wife was just trying to stay on the road, you know? She's like, <laughs> just, just trying to, just trying to stay on the road. So it was, uh, it was a few, it was just a few weeks later that Rachel said, they just won't leave this alone. You are just going to have to have the talk with them. And so we sat down and I did. And I just, I, I made Rachel leave through because she just kept giggling through the whole thing. And I'm like, you need to go because they're not listening at all, you know? And, uh, and so she left and, and we had, we had the discussion, you know? And I, I told him everything, you know, and just laid it out. And then, and then Aiden goes, so, well, wait a minute. You and mom? Oh, that, no, that was, that was Isaac. He said that. You and mom? And, and Aiden goes, well, yeah, duh, at least four times. <laughs> so I just left it. I didn't say anything else. I, I was like, yep. Like him. <laughs> Aiden has always been, he's always had the weirdest like outlook on life since he was tiny. And we used to like put, we used to tweet Aiden, like Aiden, the Aiden thing of the day um, because he would just say stuff that we were like, where did you go? My favorite one of all time, he was three. He couldn't even, you know, he was, you know, just three years old. They don't talk a lot. And he was playing with a worm on the back porch at my parents' house, you know, and he's just playing with it, whatever. And then he did something and he cut it in half on accident. And, and, and we were like, oh, it's okay, buddy. And he goes, he goes, oh, I'm not worried. Now he has a half brother. Yep. <laughs> I was just like, you have a half brother. That's that's really great. That's oh, that was really funny. Yeah. I have a bit, not well, it changes the whole subject. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so like my mom's ministry is with ESL people, like mm. and um, preaching them and like getting them saved, especially with in like people in different countries where they, you know, there's like Buddhism and then there's you know like Islam and all that. So like my mom has been going to like different conferences where they teach you how to uh, preach the gospel without turning them off mm. and um there was one my mom was showing me where it was like it's the story <clears throat> about uh abraham when he's about to kill isaac and he's like just about to kill him and 
It says, like, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, like, God tested Abraham. Mm -hmm. And then, like, he's about to kill Isaac. And then it says, I'll sit there. Uh, he said, um, an angel of God called out to him in heaven. And, you know, he stopped him. And he's like, don't lay a hand on him. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Yeah. And um, they're like, um, it goes like down on the chat, down along the chapter where the angel of God speaks to him <laughs> and says, "Because you've gone through this, you have not refused to give me your son. Yeah. I'll bless you." Like angels don't really have that authority, so my, so the like the person talking kind of like was like saying that it could possibly before Jesus became a human, like that could be yeah. Jesus. Yeah, there, there's that's what we call a theophany, which means that. It was it was the Lord appearing in the uh, appearing to someone himself, rather than like for instance Abraham. This happened several multiple times with Abraham, where like the three men were going by and Abraham sees them and bows down to the ground and says, "Come into my tent," you know, and he recognized he worshipped these people um, because he recognized that it was the Lord, but it. It was they, he looked like a person, and so there's multiple places. Another one is um, when the angel of the the visits Joshua right before the Battle of Jericho. Almost any place you see in Scripture where it says the angel of the Lord, it's, it usually means that it's the Lord Himself actually appearing to whoever it is that's talking. If it says an angel from the Lord or someone appearing to be a man or something like that, then it's different. It might be an angelic being. It might be Christ. It might be, you know, whatever. But then, but if it says an angel of the Lord, which both of those times that you read it, it said the angel of the Lord, it's usually Jesus himself <coughs> appearing to I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't know, like, like, you know, like you, you've done this for me. I always it says to Abraham, like, yeah. you didn't sacrifice your son when you were saying it the other way, the other way I thought about it was I really like your explanation, but the other way I thought about it, or I've always kind of thought about this, it's like when a prophet when the prophet speaks, you know, he speaks, he speaks as God. As God. Yeah. And so like the angel of the Lord, if it is an angel, it's just the angel of the Lord speaking as the Lord. Make sense? Right. But that's not actually the case. They really think this was Jesus. Yeah. Right, but that's what well, I was just saying my thought process is because there are other places where people attempted to worship angels and the angels stopped them. Yeah. Uh, one of the angels stops Daniel from worshiping him. He says, I'm just a servant like you. Do not worship me. Um, you know, and so if there is adoration or worship like a, a sacrifice being offered up to this being and they receive that worship, it's either Satan or God. Okay? It's a fall, either a fallen angel or it is the Lord himself. And in this case... We believe it's the Lord because that was, you know, this is Abraham who is who's had more than one experience of this nature. So, anybody else? No, he's my boy. Now, Ian was three years old when I was I was unemployed for a year. And so I was home almost all the time, and he was three. And so he was my human shadow for, like, an entire year. And um, so, yeah, it's like he's, you know, he's 
one of one of the closest to me. Not that I love him more than my kids, but he's just closer to me because we have spent more time together probably than I have with my other kids. And uh, he's just he's a really tenderhearted kid too. He's very very compassionate and uh, but he cracks me up. He's he's a social butterfly. He loves to. All the girls at school love him. Whenever I drop him off at school, there's like two or three girls, hi, Ian, like as they're walking in, and I'm just like, yep, it's my he boy. Was walk, he was walking out of spring play, and he had like his sleeping bag, his bag, and like another bag, and he was like trying, like struggling with it. I was like, you need help, man? And he's like, no. <laughs> and my kids had fun at spring play, guys, so thanks. I'm sorry about his Ian's massive guess. was in service. It was funny. Dana tried to blame one of my boys. My He's always... No, one of your kids was farting in front of me too. Every he, like yeah, picks up his cheek, does it, and then goes, "I didn't hear him. I didn't hear him." Dang it, that's. Oh man. No. I was like, it's the spawn of Josh. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much. Being being a a parent is uh, simultaneously the hardest thing in just that anybody could ever try and do, and also just the most fun thing ever. Um, There's so many moments that are just great and you know whatever. Then there's moments where I just like I just want to kill them. Um, you know, and all my kids have really great things about them, but all they also have like, you know, stuff about them that's you know character flaws that are really obvious. Because you know, it's always at home that's when your character mm-hmm. flaws really come out. Ian's that he has massive gas all the time. And, <laughs> you know. Is that a flaw, though? You know. Yes. <laughs> yes. And there's so many times when I'm like, if you fart next to me again, I said. Next time you have to fart, you have to go to the garage. <laughs> but I've had to have that conversation with all three of my boys at some point. The garage. Yes. The garage. They just have a wicked case, you know, and it's just like, you, you got to go to the garage. Get out of here. I'm always slightly worried because we have a gas water heater. And, you know. You know. <laughs> Anybody else? Anything else? I'm just I'm just keeping it open. We can go to Ephesians five, or we can continue in this vein. I don't care. I just knew I wasn't supposed to jump right to it right away. I was thinking about the other day. Where were you talking about? Whenever you're talking about how your like your main job as a father is like to I don't know what the word you said was like label your kid. Not label them, but like tell them what they are. I don't know. Like, this, 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 this one, like, this one's the dimwit. This, this one's the. Hey, like, like, you know what? Do you know what? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's Ephesians three verse fourteen. Okay. Okay. And where it says, it says, it says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom all families on earth derive their name. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so the the, I. From that and from multiple other places, for instance, uh, you know, the just the different times when a father will give their son a name, a, a specific, you know, name that means something over them, like Jacob, 
You know, his name means supplanter, liar, uh, cheat. That's what his name means. And he was he was totally that. His the whole his whole life until a certain point. Jake, that is exactly who he was. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was he was just this guy you could not trust. He weaseled Esau out of his out of his birthright. Just waited till he was really hungry and then made some really good soup and was like, ah, "This is really good. <laughs> Woo! It's delicious." And Esau's like, "I'm starving." He's like, "Give me your birthright." <laughs> and he did it. That's because Esau was like, "Me hunter, me no have brains." Okay, so it's it's true. Esau actually means red. So he was probably he and, and it said he was very hairy. So he was probably a redhead. So Esau was a ginger. He was the first ginger in the Bible. And. It's it's true. It's that's your brother's it's name. And, that's yep. Huh? Uh, Ian? No, Ethan. Ethan? No, Ethan's not the ginger. <laughs> My beard is ginger. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Why. Yeah, he's he's as much a ginger as he's as much a ginger as I am. Yeah, my wife. No, my wife is. I mean, I have the red beard too, but my but my wife's hair was the exact same color as my boy's hair. Uh, but as but yeah, as she's, she's gotten blonde. older, it's getting more and more blonde. But don't tell her she's a blonde; she will rip your head off. Oh, like a true. She does not. She does not want to be known as a blonde. She hates it, and she hates that her hair is. But I won't let her like color it because I just. That's no. her natural color. Yeah. Wow, it's so pretty. Yeah, that's her natural color, and the curl is totally natural too. She doesn't do anything for that. <laughs> same thing yeah. with. Same thing for Lily. I mean, but look at Lily. Lily's hair, you know, that red curly, that's exactly what Rachel's hair looked like when we got married. So, you know, it was that It was that curly and that red. And it's just gotten blonder and blonder. Um, well, like Bob Parent, you know, Pastor Bob, the worship guy, is my wife's uncle. And his hair was really red, too, the same color as... Wait, so they're all related? No, we're not all related, but I'm related to Bob. <laughs> yeah. By marriage. Wait, was your dad a ginger? No. Oh, okay. I thought he was. Why, dad, why is his beautiful dad's hair was really dark. Huh? Why is he so tan? Yes. Why is yeah, why is he so tan? His dad's the same way. I'm like, there's no way this dude has enough time to go outside that <laughs> No, he's just, he's just, he's just like, well, he went to Israel a while back and came back and he was like really dark. <laughs> He just stands outside and gets dark. <laughs> and, no, it's. I stand outside and I just get redder and redder. Yeah. Yes. And and my grandmother was and my so we have red on both sides. So all my kids were redheads. But it's a lot of fun. Wait, has has your dad always been that short? He's never been tall. You think you used to be six foot, or <laughs> he had an accident where the lower third of his legs was removed? I was just like wondering. Yes. I, there was a time when he was shorter than that, and he. <laughs> he just stopped growing at five four, and that's uh, you know. My grandmother is five one. My sister is five one. 
my aunt's four seven. Yeah, she's shorter than me, man. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, but that's that thing. That thing about the father. So so I've always taken it. Ever the Lord spoke to me out of that passage, and said that it is my, it is the the father's job is to give identity to their children, to help them to know who to help them know who they are, and to call them into who they are. In fact, that's one of the things that if. You know, if we went to Ephesians 5 today, that we would talk about. In fact, why don't we just go there now, since nice. it's a good segue. Um, this, 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 uh, I'm trying to find where that is. Um, it's in verse 7. He says... Do not be partakers with them. He's talking about the sons of disobedience. He says, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he's, he's telling them, you, you should not act this way because that's not who you are. How, how often do we, do we label someone based on their sin? That's who they are. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a thief. Um, you know, that kind of thing where, where we just kind of put this kind of label on them as if their greatest sin was their actual identity. And the Apostle Paul in this, in this is saying, no, 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 you were darkness, but now you are light. That you are, this is who you are. So act like yourself and don't do that. Don't go back to that place. This whole chapter is about the Apostle Paul calling us to be who we are, to leave behind who we used to be, and to step into cooperation with who we actually are, who God has made us in Christ Jesus. He starts off by saying, "Be therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I love this because this is what kids do. Kids imitate their parents. How many times have you seen them do that? We have, I have pictures of, of myself mowing the lawn, and behind me, are Isaac and Aiden with their little plastic mowers walking behind me in my in my track? Uh, they're not. Are they actually mowing the grass? No. What? No. Now, now my son is really imitating me because I said, "Here's the mower, and I'm done mowing for the rest of my life." <laughs> this is why I had sons. Okay, so you could mow, and I could sit with lemonade and say, "You missed a spot." Okay. Have you, you've seen kids imitate their dads. You've seen kids try and act like their dad. I have a question for you. Does a kid ever succeed in becoming a carbon copy of their father? No. Do they ever become more than, more than an echo of who their father was? No. They, they can never be who their dad was. They're going to have pieces of them that are their father. They're going to be similar. They may even be able to do things almost the same way, but they're never going to be perfect imitators of God. And 
God knows that we will never be perfect imitators of him. He gets that. And it's okay. He understands our weakness. And, and he says, he says, I just want you to attempt. I want you to try and be like me. Be an imitator of me. Step into that place. And then verse 2, and, I, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is how you are to imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in love. Be a person who is loving at all times. To this morning, I'm dropping Ian off at school, and one of the, and I always pray for the boys before they get out of the car, and I and I you know I usually pray pretty much the same thing. I usually ask God to give them favor with their friends and their teachers, to help them to learn everything they need to learn, and help them to be to show people the love of Jesus today. And at the end, I just kind of felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to just ask Ian, "Do you know what I mean when I ask Jesus to help you to show His love to people?" He said, "No." <laughs> And so I, I tried to help him, you know, understand what I meant by that. You know, that I want you to be kind to people. I want you to make them feel welcome. I, I want, I don't, you know, when other people are making fun of someone, you should stand up for them. When other, you know, when other people are, are being mean to someone, you should be nice to them. So show these people that Jesus loves them just by who you are, right? And that's all the Apostle Paul is saying. We need to live just like Jesus did. Jesus is our finish line. He's the model that we're sculpting after. He is, he is our, end, our end goal, is to look like Christ. To walk like Jesus did. And that, that is true in, in every layer, in every aspect, in all of the different dimensions that, Je- that, that, that we can see in Jesus. So not just his character and nature, although do not forget those. You need to have the character and nature of Christ. Christ's humility, Christ's generosity, Christ's grace and mercy, Christ's absolute sacrificial love, Christ's, the way that Christ made even the most broken and lowly person feel welcome in his presence. Okay? That was Jesus, and that should be us. We need to be just like him. We also need to be like him in his absolute faith in his Father, in his incredible confidence in prayer. Father, I know you always hear me. He said that right before he was about to call a dead guy out of the grave. In his, in, in the way that he walked in the supernatural at all times, the way that he said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything I don't hear the Father saying. This is the way that I walk. This is the way that I work. I do what I see my father doing. That's our job. That's who we're supposed to be. And we know that. Jesus told us that. He said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, love each other how? As I have loved you. He's given us a living, breathing example of what humanity looks like. The ideal human, that's who Jesus was. Jesus didn't do anything out of his authority as the Son of God. He did everything as a spirit-filled believer. He was operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why the Holy Spirit had to come upon him. Have you ever thought about that? Why would the Son of God need the Holy Spirit to come upon him? He's the Son of God. The Bible says that nothing that exists was, nothing that was made wasn't made by him. Everything that, that exists, all of the very water he was being baptized in had been spoken into existence by the one that was being baptized in that moment. And yet when he comes out, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him. What's the point? Why? Because Jesus wanted to be able to turn around and point to us and say, you can do everything that I did and greater things than these. There is a Latin phrase that we use for this. Does anybody know what it is? I don't really expect you to, but maybe you. Christus exemplar. Christ our example. Okay. It's a theological term. You can, you can practice it in the mirror later. Christus exemplar. Christ our example. Okay. That's who he is. He's the example. He's the model. He's the roadmap. When we see what Jesus did, that's the stuff that we're supposed to do. Heal the lame, heal the blind, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Yes, 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 yes. You're supposed to do those things. Get busy. Get busy. Ready? Ready to go raise the dead? Jesus went to a funeral and raised the person from the dead. When's the last time you did that? I've never done it. <laughs> but that's what he did. Jesus was a radical. <clears throat> he literally walked into the midst of a funeral to which he was not invited and raised the the person in the casket from the dead. We should invite Jesus to more funerals. <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. <laughs> that's why I left, because I really did think it was funny. I was just being mean to you, because I'm not being like Jesus. You being mean yesterday. Verse three. I know, I know, <laughs> guys. I just want to. I just want to apologize to Jared in front of all of you. I called him a Florida redneck yesterday in the car, and you know he was he was upset by that. <laughs> all right. Now we're going to get into a list of things that our, Jesus is not like. And the Apostle Paul is going to be talking about each one of them saying, don't be like this because Jesus isn't like this. This isn't who you are. Okay? So he says, but immorality, any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. This is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather get the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, immorality. Let's start there. The Greek word is going to sound familiar to you. Pornea. And it means fornication. Anybody not know what the word fornication means? 
Fornication means any sexual relationship outside of marriage, period. That's what fornication means. To fornicate is to have sex with someone to whom you are not married. Fornication. Well, yeah, that would be true, too. But I think that would fit more in the next one, which is impurity or unclean, uncleanness, which is any non-natural sexual activity, which would, which is really he's pointing at homosexuality. He just doesn't name it by name here. But that's what he means. And he means more than that. He would also mean <coughs> sex with anything else. Sex with anything other than the opposite sex of you. That you're married to. That you aren't, well, yeah, but we already did that. <laughs> if you're not married to this person, you shouldn't be having sex with them. If they are not the opposite sex from you, or not human, <laughs> that's something else too, but it's just as bad. So no. I'm not kidding. That's what they were talking about. Filthiness. Uncleanness. They were talking about... Because they live, you got to understand that Ephesus was a pagan culture. Okay? A pagan, do you know that the Romans regularly, <coughs> Roman men would have young male lovers. They would, they'd be married to a woman and they would have children with her. But they would also, that, that same guy would have a young man that he was in a romantic relationship with. Simultaneously. That was pretty normal. Yes. In fact, sometimes she would sleep with him too. Because that's the kind of culture we're talking about. This is they were very they were overtly sexual. They would have you know the the you know the the honestly, like for instance, it wasn't really considered in this culture it wasn't really considered adultery unless you actually got her pregnant. Sleep with her, that's fine. Just don't get her pregnant because that's not cool. She's my wife. Then we don't have problems. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding around. That's true. In fact, there's a really famous Roman poet that said, I only sleep with other men while I'm pregnant because then there's no chance of that. Oh, my God. Yeah? Okay. Um, so if they let like their wives go have sex with like, anyone, there was no love. Was there, like, no love for each other? Like, you know, like a husband and wife. They're sure, like, they loved each other. I mean, like, like actual marriage love. Yeah, sure. They loved each other. They did not see this as immorality. Or it, it wouldn't have been considered cheating on you. Um, so would homosexuality be listed under impurities or fornication? No, it's not listed. It's not listed under fornication, necessarily. It's listed under impurity. Yeah. Um, when was this? This is during Roman times. Okay, I thought so. Did they have um like protection? No. Or did they just pop out kids? They just popped out kids. Rabbits. Yeah. Rabbits. <laughs> or they would do other things to keep from getting pregnant too. Like abortion? No. Yeah. <laughs> 
There are other ways. But no, did no, they did not. Yeah, look, I mean, I was just saying, nobody else was going to say it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Yeah, but I, what? I mean, I tried to say it. Like, no. <laughs> I tried to just like anyway. I still don't know what it is. You don't need to know. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It happens in the Bible, actually. There's a... There's, one specific moment in the Bible where this person does that. Yeah, God curses him because of it. My, my brother was so mad at that. My brother, who's an atheist, he read that. He was so mad. Does he understand what's actually going on there? Did you tell him? I, I, I was really trying to, and then he was just getting more mad. Because the issue isn't that... He did that. No. The issue is that he was supposed to be giving his this woman a, a son or a, an heir for his brother. Yes. But it's not because he spilled his seed. Yeah. That's not the problem. The problem is he had a, an obligation to his brother's inheritance that his that brother's wife would have a child of their family. And so he married her in order to, to continue his brother's line, and he refused to allow her. He wouldn't get her pregnant. He was sleeping with her, but he wouldn't impregnate her. And so that's why God cursed him, not just because you know, his seed got spilled on the ground. But that's where the whole Ro- the whole Roman Catholic idea that that birth control is a sin. It is. Oh, that's yeah. the, they believe that it's not. It's no, there's no there's no biblical reason to believe that 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 birth control is a sin. Okay, but they think it is because of this one instance in Scripture. But if we look at what God was really mad about, it wasn't that. Well, a lot of people use that to justify something else too. Yes, I know. He's more. Yes, they do. You're absolutely right. Yeah. They do. And it's foolishness. So I've always wondered that too. Like, he was more mad at that argument. God's the one that created nocturnal emissions. Do you think he's worried about that? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just being completely honest with you here. That God's not worried about, this isn't, every sperm is not sacred. Okay. That's an old Monty Python song, every sperm is sacred. And, and, and it is not, and it's making fun of this idea that. Yeah. My brother was don't, more mad at the fact that God would have... This is my brother's thought process because it also arose out of the fact that um, just God curses or kills people anyway. So he was, more, he was more mad about the fact that... That God cursed this man? Yeah, that God cursed this man because he did something that God didn't want. In essence, he was saying God's just being a big bully. No, that's not what's going on. I know, I know, I understand that, but it's... I know, I get it. If you don't believe in God, then you can't believe in a God that has the right to judge people for bad behavior. Right, and that's you what know? I was trying to say. I was like, he created this all. And he's, God, he's God, judge of God is the only one who has the right to judge, but he does have the right to judge, and he will, and he does. God judges. If you have questions about... Uh, we can talk about it at another time. I'd be happy to. I Let me just be... Those of you who are here who have been with me for longer than just this year, you know that I'm not embarrassed to talk about anything at all. Um, and, and that's just true. And the reason I'm not, hear me out on this, the reason I'm not is because if, I'm, if, if I don't give you a biblical worldview of this, who will? When I was youth pastor, we would always, we'd have one or two nights at camp or, in, or, or home missions where I would... I would say, 
Let's all hang out in my room, and you can ask me anything you want. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. It was a little dangerous, I have to say. It was. But, but it was, and I knew that. I knew that before I ever did it. I knew they were going to ask inappropriate things. But I tried to turn it back and give them a biblical worldview and just give them facts. Would you do that again? Just for future reference for myself. I would. Okay. Yeah. I would. Right. And yes, there are still bad memories from a couple of things. Um, but, uh, but, you know, just people that ask ridiculous questions that weren't important. But anyway, um, I, I would because I want, I want them to know. They're, look. They can ask me or they can go Google it. They can ask nobody explain it to me. They can they can ask me or they can or they can go talk to their friend who has a completely non biblical worldview of sex. So I I'd rather they ask me. They're not gonna ask their parents. Most of them. Some of them might. I hope my kids will, because I've told them that before. But it's embarrassing to talk about this stuff with your dad. It is. It's embarrassing. You don't want to ask them about because then you're thinking, "Oh, Dad's done this stuff with my mom." You know, like that's just not cool, right? And so it's embarrassing. So I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Don't you talk about this like in marriage counseling? Yes. When you're about to get married. Yes. Okay, I'll just wait. No. Well, I mean, that's fine. You can wait. That's totally fine. And you should talk about it. If, you are, if you're engaged with someone, sex is about to be a big part of your life. And you, better, you need to talk about it. You just do. And I know, I know people that have not talked about it because they were like, they didn't want to be gross or they were afraid or they felt, you know, whatever, you know, uncomfortable about it. And that part of their life was pretty crappy for the first long time because they hadn't asked anybody about it. This is one of the things, I've actually done this multiple times, where if there's a guy that I know that is getting married, uh, I will take him to coffee or something and say, okay, let's talk. And he can ask me whatever he wants, but there's a few things and I'm going to tell him, whether he asks or not. Because... There's things he needs to know that he probably doesn't. And so I've done that quite a few times over the years, and I will continue to. Sex is something God created for marriage, and it's a really awesome part of marriage. And there's no reason to be embarrassed about it at all. When it's in that, in, in that context, that's awesome. It is. It's supposed to be. It's exactly, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. That's when it is totally, we're good. So it doesn't, talk like that doesn't fit into this, when he says, when, when he says that there, there should be no, uh, he says, no immorality, no impurity, no greed. The word's actually covetousness, which just means living one's life in pursuit of anything but God. Okay, and you may ask, why is fornication, homosexuality, and greed put in the same sentence? Because they're all the same thing. Look, look down, look down at, ver to, at verse five. No immoral or impure 
or covetous man who is an idolater. Who is an idolater is describing the first three things, those three things. When you lift sex or self or things above God in, in your heart, and they are more important than God to you, you are an idolater and you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, period. It's reality. It's how it goes. Now, if you're sitting in this room going, oh my gosh, am I doing that? I don't know it. No. Because the person that's doing that is not asking that question. If you honestly want God to be the most important thing in your life, if that is something that you desire, really, not just, yeah, sure, I want him the most important thing in my life. No. If you honestly want God to be the most important thing in your life, then he probably is. That doesn't mean we shouldn't guard ourselves from these things. If your life is marked more by a desire for sex or a desire for things or a desire for a human relationship than it is by a desire for God, then you're in trouble. And you need to go back to the gospel and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to change you on the inside. You see, behavior is a symptom of the real problem. And the real problem is that your heart is not where it should be. Immoral behaviors, <laughs> impurity, covetousness, running after things, those are all symptoms of the real problem. It isn't that those things themselves are keeping you out of the grace of God. No, you're keeping yourself out of the grace of God. And those things are the ways that you know that you're out of his grace. Does that make sense to everybody? When your life is producing impure fruit, it's because the root is in the wrong place. You connect with that? They shouldn't be named among us. All right, we need to end there because it's 3 o'clock. Any last words? 